Uh, welcome, everyone, to The Commentarians. I'm your host, Joe. And I'm Gina D'Alfonso. And we're here to talk over your movies. Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to The Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. <laughs> we are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survived, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you had sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that. Uh, welcome, everyone, to The Commentarians. Uh, and as you just heard, we have Gina with us once again. Glad to be back. All right. And uh, you picked a great movie. And here's the funny thing about it. I don't know a lot of people who even know this movie exists. It's not really all that popular, but Rotten Tomatoes has a great score. It's like 79% critic score and 77 audience score. Uh, it's gotten a lot of great reviews, uh, but I haven't heard of this movie besides you mentioning it to me. It didn't, um, it didn't get a lot of attention when it came out, as I recall, uh, but... As you say, those who see it do tend to love it. And so my hope is that in years to come, it will eventually get a reputation as a Christmas classic, uh, one of the the um, films that people like to watch around this time of year. Uh, just because, as you say, I think it's a great movie. Mm -hmm. It revisits uh, the classic A Christmas Carol, but in like a whole new way <laughs> it sort of sort of takes us for a really deep dive into it and teaches us all sorts of new things about it and it's just a, a terrific movie a terrific biopic in its own right yeah and uh let me ask uh has christopher Plummer ever played scrooge before it's interesting you bring that up because i was going to bring it up myself and I don't think he has, and I think it's such a great shame. I know. <laughs> Maybe he played it on stage at some point. I don't know. But he's just magnificent. He just and would make a perfect Scrooge. He would be. He would be so perfect. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when you we get to see we, we get to see him doing some of the classic Scrooge lines, bah humbug, and all that. Right. And we also see him as a little bit of a what you might call a behind the scenes Scrooge, like Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on events and oh, he's just so good <laughs> yeah so uh if uh the movie is available on hulu or you can rent it anywhere uh but we're about to get started i'm uh, paused at uh 25 seconds uh i it's not really a movie where you have to be right on you know cue with us but uh we'll be talking about charles dickens and uh and uh, a Christmas Carol, and uh, like last time we did a Christmas Carol, I think two years ago, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. and uh, we talked so. about all our favorite versions of that. So uh, we'll definitely be bringing that back up. But uh, let's get started. So as always, we're gonna do a countdown: three, two, one, press play, and then you guys can press play if you're watching. But if not, uh, you don't have to. There's gonna be a broad discussion as always. So let's get into it. Uh, three, 
two, one, play. Okay. Now we're seeing yeah. a pillar coming up. Doors looks like yeah. doors or Bleecker Street. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you're probably the perfect person to talk to about this because you're a huge uh, Charles Dickens fan, are you not? I am, yes. Since I was in ninth grade, I've found out over the years, and probably everybody knows this, that uh, reading the works of Dickens, maybe reading any classic literature in high school tends to be a very polarizing experience. You talk to people who hated it and, and say they were forced to do it, and it just ruined classic literature for them forever. And then you talk to people who loved it and it, it sparked a lifelong habit. And I was one of the ones who uh, read Great Expectations in ninth grade, loved it, went on to become a Dickens uh, fanatic <laughs> and uh, run a blog about Dickens. And so, um, yeah, I, I, um, I've been a fan for a very long time now. Yeah. And, uh... and, would, uh, Go ahead. Which book would be your favorite of his? I'm a I'm a big fan of A Tale of Two Cities. That's my favorite. Mm. Uh, second favorite, Little Dorrit. Oh, okay. So, so we're seeing now um, him giving a speech in America, which is something he did do, and. There, you, you learn a few, this is good storytelling because you learn a few things right away from this opening scene. Yeah. Um, first of all, and, and this is, this is uh, I don't know if you call it an Easter egg. It, it, it's sort of something for the fanatics among us. But like that, that little uh, figurine you saw of the sword fighting frogs or whatever it is they're doing, that was a real thing that Dickens had kept on his desk. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and he, he took a lot of items on his desk. That was, that was uh, one of them. And so like, Right away, there's like attention to detail. There's attention to accuracy. Right. And in this opening scene, you get you get a sense right away a couple things about Dickens. Number one, that he had a healthy ego, which is <laughs> very true. <laughs> and number two, that he had a great respect and love for his audience, and that is also true. Mm. So um, I guess you could say these two things are sort of held in tension because I think perhaps the love for his readers and the respect for them and the desire to do something good for them maybe helped keep the healthy ego in check a little bit right. <laughs> and kept him from becoming an absolute monster. Because <laughs> as we'll see, I mean, he's, he's a man full of faults, but also he's a man of good impulses and instincts as well. Right. So, uh, you, you, I think you get this right from the get go here. Yeah. He, uh, and this is from what I've also read uh, elsewhere, but he wasn't a perfect man like nobody is, but he wanted to be better. And that's, that, that's the thing. He strove to be as good as he could be. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and and uh, these these little uh, humorous um, words here, three flops later. <laughs> and that, the writer's life, I don't know what is. I mean, in the first scene, you've got all the adulation and the cheering crowds, and now here he is sitting at a desk with writer's block. And I know that feeling. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. And I think this this is a really good depiction of it. Yeah. Um, and you get it throughout the movie, like the whole idea of writer's block and what it's like and how it really, really sucks. <laughs> yeah. And because um, I, I, this, this is something that I've gotten from this movie. 
the who are, the writer and director they know what it's like to be a writer. They know how mm-hmm. they they are good creatives because it shows exactly what you know a writer and a or creative an artist goes through to create art. So that comes across. They're also very much a Charles Charles Dickens fan, and not just a yes. Charles Dickens fan, but a huge fan of a Christmas Carol because it comes through. Uh, how yeah. much they must have known about Charles Dickens. Yes, and, absolutely. Yeah, and it just reminded me, him being a writer, and like you said, he's got a very healthy ego. Like any, I think any creative does have a kind of a big head, and they, it needs to be kept in check because the more your ego grows, the harder it is for a person to write, I've, uh, I've uh, discovered. I think- yeah, I think that's true. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I can't say my writer's block was ever accompanied by an accordion the way <laughs> the way his is here. But but other than that, yeah, I think I think it's it just captures so much of of the experience. And um, we, we've already talked about Christopher Plummer, and we'll get more into that. Yeah. Um, and Stevens, though, I'm just the first time I saw this, I was just blown away by his performance, and mm-hmm. I continue to be. Because he gets the energy absolutely right. Dickens was a tremendously energetic man, the kind of man who thought nothing of walking 30 miles at one go um, <laughs> and off, and frequently did it. Uh, always, I, I mean, the way he's always dashing around, you know, here one minute, gone the next in this movie, it's just exactly how he was. And I think Stevens absolutely nails it. So mm. I think he, as well as the writer and director, must have really study Dickens carefully yeah and I wanted to bring something up that only a person like myself would know because (laughs) uh in the Christian world not a lot of people know stuff like this but uh I uh I the uh Aleister Crowley who was a a magician not not like a you know like a hocus pocus like a you know an he's he was into the occult and he tried to do magic that way. And he was a Satanist and he was an insane person. But he said that, uh, and talking about ego, uh, that the horrible thing about the cup of the covenant, the cup of Jesus Christ that you, we all partake in, is that you die to yourself. So everything belongs to God and you die and nothing belongs to you anymore. And that's horrible. And of course, he was a horrible writer because he was very much <laughs> this big ego. Uh, but like I said, a writer has to kind of tamper down their ego to to get over writer's block to be a better writer because they have to kind of humble themselves to do that and I, I yeah i think that uh and that's one of the dumbest you know things that one of the many dumb things that uh, Alistair Crowley said because uh, <laughs> as a writer that yeah dying to yourself is probably a good idea because you need mm-hmm. to humble yourself to get those words out because you can never live up to what you think of yourself as a creative. And I think that that's what a big problem is for a lot of, uh, a lot of writers and filmmakers and, you know, artists, you know, even the, the greatest, because you have to, you have to have a big ego to do, to be good. I, I think that that's a part of it, but you know, it also keeps you from tappity tap tapping on the, on the keyboard. That's a really fascinating perspective. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will probably see that for a while because because it, it's um yeah it, it's sort of I mean what, what what we've just been saying about the balance and the tension and trying to keep 
keep the different sides of your nature in check and, and bring some things out and suppress other things. I mean, that, that fits perfectly with that. That's really interesting. And I'm sorry. I hope that's not insulting to say that because oh, you've written several books. No, <laughs> I'm no, saying no, that you have no, a big no. ego, but I do think really all writers, all creatives do. And I don't think that that's yeah. something wrong, but you know, it, it is something that exists. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, and, and Dickens in particular, and, and people always say things like this with many caveats, caveats, like you, you shouldn't, um, diagnose people you don't know. Sure. And so and especially Victorians, like who lived centuries ago and, and so forth and so on. But there is a, uh, always adding those caveats. People have often speculated that Dickens was bipolar, mm. uh, if you if you make a close study of his life, even if you trace some things in his works, there are just lots of signs. I mean, the huge energy and then the huge depression. And you'll see later in this, um, his wife, Catherine, says something about there are two of you. Mm, <laughs> and, yeah. and, um, you know, that the writer, the screenwriter may have been touching on some of that speculation because, I, I, again, knowing how how tricky and ill-advised it may be to try to, to, you know, overanalyze or over-psychologize or diagnose somebody from a, a distance of time, it still, it just seems like it, it may have been a possibility. Yeah. And, oh, and I should also mention, um, in this, talking about earlier in the film, he was giving a, a talk, he was performing on stage. Uh, that's something that a lot of writers did. That was like kind of a common thing. And in fact, uh, like, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, oh, I just had his name. Uh, Oscar Wilde actually invented stand-up oh. that way because he would <laughs> do these, you know, performances, but his were very funny. Oh, and here we have a really important moment here. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh Go ahead. You mean the collecting of the names? The collecting of the names, yeah. You know, he they just found, uh, they, you know, a waiter came to take their order. They're at a restaurant, and uh, his name is Marley. This yes. older so gentleman, very tall, old, you know, gentleman. He's, and he writes down the name Marley because as an artist, you're constantly getting ideas and inspiration. Yes. Yes, and, and now he's talking to Thackeray, who um, <clears throat> I looked up Thackeray before we got on the phone just to just to brush up my memory a little bit. Um, Thackeray wasn't hadn't written Vanity Fair, his greatest work just yet. Mm. So what we have here is is a uh, Thackeray who um, was already a writer and, and he was reviewing books a lot. And so this this may be one of some of the reasons he's making Dickens twitch here because <laughs> he probably reviewed some of his earlier books and found them wanting. And, and um, they did in real life have this sort of very up and down relationship, you know, <laughs> um, sort of stormy. And um, as creative we, we would do, have for, you know, reviewers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we do know that Thackeray was envious of Dickens power uh, as he called it, he 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 was known to complain to somebody somebody that you know no other writer stands a chance <laughs> against <laughs> this kind of power. So um, when we see him come in and snipe at Dickens here, uh, there there were there were reasons for that. <laughs> um, sometimes sometimes I hate the oh you're just jealous argument because that is so overused and so oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, not always fair, but in this case, yes. <laughs> Thackeray would. <laughs> let me ask. So uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's, you know, like we said, he's walking on stage to lots of fanfare. Uh, and that was after Oliver Twist, if I remember right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he had three flops. Oh, do you know yeah. what those may have been or what they are or and w- would you consider them lesser works of his? Um, personally, I would. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think people would. Uh, the books are um, Barnaby Rudge, Martin Chuzzlewit and the non-fictional American Notes, which he wrote after his American tour. Hmm. Uh, and I mean, they're good. <laughs> they, they're all good. They have very good things in them. Each of them has, well, the, the two novels, the two fictional works especially, have have some very memorable characters, um, even iconic characters, I would say. Hmm. But um, he just wrote so many books that were better than those. <laughs> and um, I, I, he was trying different things. Barnaby Rudge was the first time he ever tried to write a historical novel. Um, set, I think, oh gosh, I don't remember, set maybe a century or two before his own time. Uh, Martin Chuzzlewit had sex instead in America. Um and so, he, yeah, that they were, they, they kind of did flop and, um, I, but, but he was, he did try to do some, some good things in them. Um, his, what he wrote about America, the Americans were not happy with because, uh, he was pretty <laughs> frank. He, 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 uh, you know, he was frank about slavery, which he got some glimpses of. Mm. Um, and the he, he had sort of gone to America very idealistically, you know, expecting to see this land of freedom and everything. And then he saw slavery and he saw he saw like customs that he didn't like. And he was pretty straightforward about them. And Americans weren't keen on that. <laughs> and yeah. so he sort of shot himself in the foot a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but he um, yeah. So so he did have. Uh, he did sort of have his his struggles, his flops. I think he was still, you, you know, he he published his novels serially, so I think he was still in the middle of Martin Chuzzlewit when he broke off to work on A Christmas Carol. Mm. But um, I think I think enough of Martin Chuzzlewit had been published by this time that they knew it was going to flop, or, <laughs> or it was it was being a flop, right? Relative for him. And, so, uh, and yeah, you, uh, one of the books you've written, uh, the gospel and Dickens, mm-hmm. he was very much inspired by the goodness, uh, you know, the, the charity that the Bible talks about. And, uh, I can, I can imagine him going to America, this land of, uh, you know, milk and honey, this, uh, land of opportunity, and then seeing what the people actually live like. And just yeah. seeing, and it, especially in his own home country, he just had such a heart for those who struggled and who didn't mm-hmm. have, you know, the have-nots, as you know. Yeah. And it just seemed like it, and it obviously comes through in uh, in A Christmas Carol and other works of his especially. Right, right. And, and another thing that went wrong was he had gone to America hoping to make the case for better copyright laws because his works were pirated so much and mm-hmm. especially in America. And, and one of the big themes in this movie is that he simu- simultaneously was lavish with his money, 
and kind of terrified all the time that the money would run out. Mm. <laughs> uh, he, he had his Scrooge-like uh, moments, and we're, we're going to see more about that. But um, so, so he went to America and was like, can, we, can I please have stronger copyright laws to protect my work, so to help, help make sure I get uh, fair compensation? And they were like, nah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was pretty open about his disappointment with that, too. Yeah. Now, we're getting... The, the movie is getting a little bit into um, some issues of fatherhood. We just saw uh, Kate tell Charles that uh, another baby is on the way. They, they would eventually have 10. Mm. Um, and that now we see Dickens sort of dreaming about and remembering his own father. And that's just a whole can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> a whole, a whole fraught uh, relationship. Yeah. So, um, but but I like how this is all juxtaposed together. We we see his his sort of uh, torment over his own relationship with his father, and then we see him uh, come and be silly for with his children for a bit. Right. And um, so th- th- there's just all kinds of uh, <laughs> all kinds of family issues going on here. Yeah. But uh, this cute moment. <laughs> um and. And now the the housemaid Tara, we saw her telling the children a story. This is a fictional character, but we do know that uh, when Dickens was a child, he had a nursemaid who used to tell him scary stories and uh, scare the life out of him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think there's like a, a grain of truth there. I think they maybe were going, were touching on that. Mm. Yeah, because um, a Christmas Carol it's often made uh, into a children's, you know, for children. And mm-hmm. is often seen as like, because it's a, especially because it's a Christmas story, it's very, uh, you know, uh, it's fun and, you know, silly at times, but it is quite terrifying. Yeah, it really it can be. Really, I mean, the the ghosts are kind of really scary, especially what the, you know, and made more scary by the fact that this could happen to you, what happens to Scrooge, mm-hmm. you know, that he could possibly end up dead and you know burning in hell as it implies mm-hmm. and oh, yeah and marley especially that you know carrying the chains it's just yeah and then see like i i mentioned before uh looking not every i think very few uh christmas carol adaptations show the scene where he looks out the window and he sees you know go uh, like tons of ghosts carrying chains of different you know and some mm-hmm. being held down to the ground, unable to walk. And mm-hmm. because everything you do connects another link in your chain that you must carry in, in death. And yeah. it's just a terrifying scene to, uh, to read. Yeah, it is. And I, I think, honestly, I think one of the scariest depictions of Marley that I ever saw was in the Disney version with Jim Carrey. Have you seen that one? The, the sort of like animated one? Oh, yeah. Um, where he actually not not all versions show this, but they've got where Marley's chin drops all the way down on his chest when he unties the rag from oh, his head. Yeah, now, the way the Disney version <laughs> freaked me out like no other. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, in in this sweet Christmas story, there are some genuinely horrifying moments. <laughs> I mean, that's taken directly from the book. Yeah. But when you see, like, holy cow! I didn't want to see that. <laughs> so um we just had a a short scene where somebody um 
a, a stranger sort of took Dickens to task for writing about poor people, prostitutes, all, all those sorts of things. And that that's, um, that's true. He did get that sort of flack. I mean, he got so much of it that he wrote a preface to a later edition of Oliver Twist saying, you know, this is drawn from life. Um, Nancy, the prostitute and Oliver Twist, um, you know, there are real women like her going through things like she goes through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I can only say that it's, it's, these sorts of things really happen. And um, it's fascinating to think about, you know, we're having a lot of debates and discussions right now about what should be in school libraries and what shouldn't. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I've never been one to argue that like you should hand a 10 year old say Stephen King's it. I mean, I don't think you should. (laughs) I think there should be like a few, a few, um, you know, thoughtfully set, boundaries and so forth but i really don't like the way the turn that things have taken lately where i mean it's just it's just gotten completely out of hand when you have like you have some school board saying saying well or or when you have some congressman saying you know go through your school libraries and send us all these books we want to look at them we want to make sure and it's it's gotten completely out of hand it's got some very troubling historical precedents um and it, it's it's gotten very broad and sweeping. I mean, some of the books I've seen named are books that I've read, and there's like nothing wrong with them at all from any perspective of any sane person. And it's just like you know, we will never stop having this debate. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's, uh, you know the the people the people that are arguing well get all books that deal with race out of schools. Well, I mean Dickens would have said uh, Dickens was not. Uh, what we might call an enlightened man today uh, in his attitudes toward race. He, he, um, he was a man of his time. He had some good instincts and he had some bad ones there. But I think if he saw what was going on now and, and the reasons people are saying, you know, don't read this book in schools, he'd say you're nuts because I mean, if you, if you're going to read a Christmas Carol or great expectations in school, or, or Oliver Twist, you're going to have prostitutes, murderers, thieves, uh, sin, basically. Yeah. You're going to be <laughs> depicted sin and, and people you don't want to think about and people you, you uh, try to avoid in real life. But you're going to get it in Dickens and you're going to get it in modern novels, too. And so this is just an issue that keeps going. And uh, it, it, if, you, if you're all for reading classics in school, then you should have a much broader perspective on this sort of thing. And you should, you should be aware that, you know, it's basically the same subject matter at bottom. Yeah. And the, 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 I think a really sad part about that is that it's almost like they're not trying to get rid of books because there's something wrong with them. It's they're mm-hmm. making, they're putting books on lists as a statement, you know, mm-hmm. as a reactionary statement, there's something going on in the yeah. country I'm on this side of the line in that. And so let's get rid of these books to, you know, to kind of stick it to the other side as opposed to, Hey, there's something really wrong here, which again, that probably, that's no reason to get rid of a book either just because there might be a problem with, with what, you know, what's in the, in a book, but to, to just do that, to make a decision like that, to get rid of a book as to kind of, to, to i don't know to make a statement is just really really hurt it's 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 ignorant 
There's just such yeah. stupidity in that decision. Yes, it, it's very troubling. I mean, if we could have thoughtful conversations about this sort of thing, and, and there already are like procedures in place where where a parent can tell the librarian, I'd rather my child didn't read like this kind of depiction of sex until she gets older or something like that. Okay, that's fine. That sure. procedure is in place. But, but this is something altogether different. I mean, this is like gangs going to school board meetings and screaming at people and threatening people and 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 using books for that purpose and making it all about books is uh, there's something just like really deeply disturbing about all that yeah and i mean you know to pick a something that happened is like the texas senate uh said that you don't have to teach you know took off the uh the must read list or you know that you're you you don't have to teach certain topic like about civil rights and about things like that which you know, the argument, you know, and people defend it saying, no, they're not saying you're not allowed to. It's just, it's just not, you don't have to. But just making that decision is a statement. They're doing that to make a statement about race and history. And it's really, really sad that they even had to do that. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's terribly sad and and disturbing, and uh, but anyway, to to tie it back to the movie again, uh, right, right. <laughs> this this conversation stemmed from from like a a very little moment, but I think in, in the movie, but I think it was a very important moment, a, a significant one. I I don't think I think there was a purpose for including it because right. it's just I mean it's at the heart of what Dickens did. You said it a couple times now. He was. He was passionately concerned for poor people, and um, he was he was going to write about that. Um, he he gave he gave to them in his personal life, but also he was going to bring them to the attention of his readers, and he was going to use that influence he had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think he's he strikes me as one of the the principal. Um, examples of how you can you can incorporate things like that in your work and not be preaching because i mean he had he had his moments where he got went a little over the top but but he wasn't he wasn't being preachy because he really believed this this was part of who he was and it just sort of overflowed in in his writings right um and and to <laughs> and to, to uh take a quick uh turn here th- this scene <clears throat> and another way you can tell that um the writer and director really knew Dickens is they incorporate so much from his other works into this movie. This scene right here is very bleak house um, (laughs) where he's sort of like talking about a lawsuit that he was hoping to win people pirating his work again. And he won the lawsuit, but there was uh, no money left. So he didn't get anything. (laughs) That's very bleak house that that's, which would come like, a few books after A Christmas Carol. Yeah. But uh, they, they sort of took that scene and put it in here, and it, it really works well. Um, and it's interesting that the, the lawyer here uh, says something like, well, they have no money, so you'll make nothing out of them, but we can, we can throw them into debtor's prison. And Dickens is like, no, don't do that. Because as angry as he was about the piracy, and as much as he had hoped to get something out of this, um, he wasn't willing for them to be thrown into debtor's prison. And, and that's sort of a sign of how much he hates the debtor's prison. So how much he has to hate them and how he doesn't want any part of that. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, that notion that uh, they did something wrong. These people did something wrong and they do deserve to pay for what they've done because they broke the law and they hurt another person, you know, financially. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. And that's where like some of the gospel comes in to, to, you know, to his, his ideas and his work, even that, yeah, we're all guilty of something. And, and grace and forgiveness is kind of, uh, you know, we're incumbent to have grace for other people because we've right. been shown that's, grace ourselves. Right. That's a good point. Uh, let me just ask you real quick. Are you hearing a lot of noise at my end? Because um, I think they're mowing or something outside. I, I'm not. It's not coming through. Okay, good. I just wanted to check that. You can edit that part out if you want to. <laughs> okay. I, I just wanted to make sure. Um. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's a good example of the grace that's sort of woven into the story and the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just just real quick, um, we haven't talked about Forster much yet, his his friend Forster here, but he is, uh, I, I enjoy his character here. He was a real person. He's a very faithful and loyal friend who did a lot for, for Dickens. And um, so I, I that's just... <clears throat> that's a moment, or not, not a moment, that's a character and a theme I enjoy here, the way that that friendship is portrayed. Mm-hmm. And here now we see Dickens trying to hit on the right name for a character and like throwing his whole self into yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> like literally acting out what the character, you know, how the character would act and then trying to get a a name that would fit that kind of, and it's really funny, him throwing himself on the floor and... and and yeah. the maids having to come in, you know, to ask him, you know, I forget what uh, what they would what they want to know, but uh, they're kind of almost like choosing straws as to kind of who yeah. gets to go <laughs> go in and help him. And right. uh, you know, the, the character that we mentioned before, uh, she drew the short straw, so to speak. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The um and here <clears throat> this is cute. Here here's where she pulls out her little book, um, Barney the Vampire. And this is a real book. <laughs> <laughs> I have not read it. The the title makes me giggle. I just think Barney the Vampire is such a goofy name. Yeah. But but this was a book and and one of the earliest um known vampire novels, I guess. I think it was a novel, like a serially published novel or something. Hmm. And um <clears throat> I um there was a back in the days of live journal. My gosh, I <laughs> there was a blogger named Cleo Linda that I used to to read a pop culture blogger, and she used to have she she read uh, Barney the Vampire and sort of reviewed it and had a lot of fun with it. So <laughs> I always get a chuckle out of uh, Barney. <laughs> yeah, and I think that this is also a wonderful thing. He just uh, you know he he loves and kind of a thing that I try to talk a lot about this being a Christian podcast and doing a thing about movies is an artist loves the art form that they're working in. You know, Mm -hmm. here we have Charles Dickens picking out a book based on, you know, the, the book that she was reading. Oh, if you like that, then let me give let me, you know, introduce you to this book because Mm -hmm. you'll love it because it has all the elements that this has, but you know, and kind of recommending something for her to read, which is something great that uh, that he does for her because she probably can't afford, you know, <laughs> the library of books that she would like. Right. Yeah. And um, he here he is back to 
<clears throat> trying to get his his uh, character name, and of course we all know what the <laughs> character name is going to be. But it's it, it's fun to watch him do it. Right. And um, this right here is my favorite moment in the whole movie because the name comes and just that confident smile on his face, and the character appears yeah. because. The moment the name comes, he knows the character will be there. And he turns around, and there he is. And it's just so perfect. And so here is Christopher Plummer, as we were saying before, um, being absolutely wonderful in this role. <laughs> and that immediately they're playing a word association game, which is, <laughs> which I find kind of, kind of fun. Yeah. And um, so he's trying to get to, he, he's he's come up with the name. He's conjured the character out of thin air. Now he has to sort of get to know him. And, and again, um, this is something that creatives do. And now, now I've never been a fiction writer. Um, that's not true. I've wrote a little bit of fan fiction in my time, <laughs> I admit. <laughs> but I've never really been a proper fiction writer. And uh, I sort of wish I could be because... Um, I mean, it sounds like a really cool experience, but what in some ways, in other ways, it sounds like a grueling experience. But <laughs> but fiction writers do talk about characters sort of taking over and, and having a life of their own like this. And um, and and so this is sort of this movie sort of gives you a very concrete depiction of that sort of thing and and how it must feel in the novelist's head. Right. And. Like that's kind of a thing that uh, a good writer would do is they develop a character so well that eventually the character tells you what they would do. So as you're mm -hmm. writing, you know, anybody would have the, you know, the impulse to tell, like, you know, to want the story to go a particular way. And I think that this mm. is a problem within Christian films that they are trying to tell you a story. They're trying to give you a message. And so they make their characters do something and it kind of falls apart because they're trying to make sure that this happens so that the audience learns a lesson when it becomes more nuanced and more important and more in a kind of a more intelligent story. If the character takes a life of their own and then mm. they decide for themselves. And again, we're talking about a fictional character, but if you develop a real character, they tell you what they would do. And they make their own decisions, sort of, based on the, the traits that you have given to them. If you just make a character evil for the sake of being evil, then there's no nuance there. But, and this is something that they tell actors, if you're going to play an evil character, you, they have to believe that they are on the right side. They're doing something good. Mm -hmm. And they're driven mm -hmm. by that. And we see it as evil, and what they're doing is bad, but they're not the villain in their own story. And that's how you mm. should play a character. And that's how you should write a character. Not just being evil for the sake of being evil, but being evil because they believe they're doing what's right. Mm. That's an excellent point. Um, I, had never, I had never quite thought of it that way. I mean, about that particular issue with um, a lot of contemporary Christian storytelling. I, I hadn't thought of it. I mean, like I said, I, I'd heard fiction writers talk about characters doing what they want, but I had never put that particular issue in those particular terms that that's very interesting um so he, here we see his father again uh jonathan price who's very good also mm -hmm. and it, an interesting thing is that uh dickens put 
aspects of his father into various books that he wrote. Um, Mr. Micaper in David Copperfield is pretty clearly known to be based on Dickens' father. And he is a, he's a lovable character. I mean, he's got all kinds of issues. He can't stay out of the, the debtor's prison or the poorhouse. <laughs> um, he, he spends far too lavishly. He's very grandiloquent. He talks all the time. He can't stop talking. But he's lovable and he's kind. And so that's, that's one depiction of, of Dickens' father. And then in Little Dorrit, you get uh, William Dorrit, who is weak and selfish and also can't stay out of debtor's prison. Mm. And um, just not what you would want in a good father. And so that's, but that he's also known to be based on Dickens' father. So it's fascinating. You know, you 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 always hear you're not supposed to um, confuse the author's life with the author's work, but at the same time, you can see very clear influences. And it's interesting that he could he was aware of so many different aspects of one person that he could make them like a good character in one book and a not so good character in a different book. Hmm, yeah. By the way, I would kill for this office. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, love, I love all the bookshelves, and I love the way those stairs go up. Uh, we saw him running up the stairs earlier. Right. And the little fireplace, and just all of it. And here we have the father. Uh, you know, he father came to visit, and, uh, you know, kind of not, not the best person not not making the best decisions but it's based on the fact that he has no money and mm -hmm. it's it, yeah it's kind of really sad and of course this son having to take care of his father is you know it can get frustrating it's 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 almost the idea of uh of uh feeding a, a person's addiction or something you know you they can't take mm. care of themselves but the more you give them the more they you know they continue to you know do bad make bad decisions you're only kind of funding that, but there's also the, and I think that that's something that, uh, that becomes a problem, especially very difficult for Christians is this notion. And the, Oh, here's the introduction of Marley. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and, and a very striking introduction. Um, <laughs> I love the look on Dickens face here too, that this is, this is more a look of shock and, <laughs> and surprise and uh, maybe a little bit of awe almost to see what his imagination has conjured up. Yeah. <laughs> it feels almost like something going on outside his mind here, the way that this is depicted, but it's very much his own creation. Yeah. And so, and so already he's got his creations, his two creations sort of um, interacting with each other mm -hmm. and uh, just back here all kind of, nervous attempts and marley is just sort of lurching to life like frankenstein right and uh so at, at this point the ideas are really starting to take over starting to flow starting to do their own thing yeah and uh, yeah it, it's really great how they do it because it's almost like dickens is now asking the character about himself so he's almost, this is a, a love about this movie is it's showing the process, the creative process of, mm -hmm. in a way that makes us understand how it works. 
you, you know, mm-hmm. he creates a character and he's asking the character. So what, you know, he's asking Marley, what about these chains? What are these chains? And he's explaining, Marley is explaining to Dickens what, you know, where these chains come from. And so it's, you know, you can almost see in, in his mind, oh, like, what are these chains about? Like, and developing these ideas of it and the characters informing him of how they how they came to be and it's just wonderful a great depiction of all of this mm-hmm. i mean it it, ta- it it's it takes a real talent to make the process visible like this <laughs> um and it's wonderful just the way that it all plays out and, and all the different layers and dimensions there are to it. And, um, and we're starting to get the feel too, that there really is a connection between Dickens and Scrooge. And it's not just because Dickens created Scrooge. <laughs> it's right. because that the Scrooge is a side of himself mm-hmm. and, and, and we're going to see that the the stinginess of Scrooge and the generosity of the Ghost of Christmas Present, for example, are both parts of Dickens. They both come from him, and they're both aspects of his, his own personality. Um, but here we see uh, the memory of when uh, young Charles Dickens' father was arrested for debt. Right. And so he did. He did spend time in um, debtor's prison, and um, his son, who saw, saw, who was there for all of this, um, is still obviously very much haunted by it. And we see that this tension is still there. Mm-hmm. And but we also see how much Dickens takes after his father. He has so much of his father in him. Right. And. So maybe that makes it even <laughs> even more tense because um, it's so difficult to actually separate himself and um, and also perhaps because I mean Dickens is just as as lavish with money, but he has the discipline and the drive and the talent to always earn more to make up for it. Sure, yeah. And, and so and so there's like maybe a little bit of a feeling. Well, I've made it work. But he didn't make it work, so why couldn't he make it work? So, so yeah, there's like all these, all these feelings and all these tensions going on. Mm-hmm. And he finds, yeah, very difficult to have any empathy for his for his father. And it's mm-hmm. it's really like, yeah, like there's a Scrooge in all of us. I guess that's the corny way of putting it. But uh, yeah, it becomes yeah. really hard. And we talk about this a lot, Scrooge and like a character like Potter, you know. In uh, Potter, in Mr. Potter, in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, mm-hmm. he's not an evil man, you know. He's just, you know, he he says to uh, to uh, what's his name? I can't believe I don't remember the name. Uh, in uh, in the It's a Wonderful Life, um, to George the, Bailey. George Bailey, yeah, he says something something to the effect that I was like you once. I was, you know, and. Mr. Potter is greedy for a reason. He became this way because of things that happened in his life. And of course, we don't know what they are and they don't explain it in the movie, but you can almost picture he's in a wheelchair and now he's bitter and he's angry and now he wants to make as much money as possible at the expense of others. And you see it you know, shown in A Christmas Carol how Scrooge became the man that he became. 
he wasn't he's not a monster he's very human but he became this character because of what happened in his life and mm -hmm. that's how you become empathetic to him you know mm -hmm. you, you, it's easy to hate scrooge but then and the beauty of charles dickens and what he writes is he became this way and you become empathetic for this horrible person yes exactly exactly and um here he, here we're getting the scene with um the artist leech and we're we're getting a sense of the pressure of the deadlines and that, that's another aspect of uh the um the creative process we haven't talked much about yet, but it's very present. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, the pressure of deadlines of like what, what he's trying to do is almost impossible. Really. He, he's trying to create this story um, and get it published in a very, very tight time frame, and, um, and, and do it lavishly as he tends to do things and you know if you didn't know how this whole story was going to end you might think it was going to end very very badly right. <laughs> because, because and you know he he got into this to start a sort of prop up his finances but now things are spinning out of control and and it's starting to cost him money mm. um <laughs> so um here we see dickens with his sister and her family they had a close relationship and it's true that uh, Dickens drew on his own disabled nephew to create uh, the character of Tiny Tim. Right. And uh, I do believe um, I, I do believe the nephew died young, which which makes <laughs> which makes the the um, fact that Tiny Tim didn't die young all the that that, that sort of adds some poignancy to it mm, for me yeah. that that he wanted to make that turn out better than it actually eventually would right and I, I i don't know like uh this whole notion of you know and you write about it in the gospel of dickens how much you know he learned i mean how much he learned from the bible about empathy and compassion and uh charity and love and it's just it comes through yeah. i i mean without actually, you know, preaching the gospel, which it kind of, it mentions it, but how A Christmas Carol is very much a Christian book. You know, it has all mm -hmm. the trademarks of of forgiveness and, and compassion and grace for people who may not yeah. deserve it, but, you know, you kind of, I don't know, you, you kind of, it's impossible not to, change, not to learn from it, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah, and it, it's full of hope, which um, which really is a Christian virtue. You know, um, from from um, you know that now remain these three: faith, hope, and love. It, it, it's very much a Christian virtue, and and just just believing that someone can change, and that's that's talked about a little bit here. The um, in this case, it's it's Tara, the, the maid, who gets to say it, but but just the the belief that a person can change. Mm -hmm. um it's and hope is a christian virtue yeah. so um it's it's just um yeah his his mind was was very much uh steeped in scripture and and uh beliefs like that and here we here we get uh tara 
playing uh, the ghost of Christmas past. I, I like the, the sort of double casting stuff that goes on here. Mm-hmm. Um, later we'll see Forster as, <laughs> as the ghost of Christmas present. <laughs> and um, it, it, again, aspects of the creative process. I, I think sometimes that there are just a few times for me when the movie gets a little bit, maybe too on the nose sure. when it comes to the of, of taking creating characters from real life because you you literally get people walking by him in the street saying these lines that he's later going to use and yeah okay sometimes maybe that happens but um sometimes it seems like okay you have to give give a little room for him to come up with some of these things by himself but um, but it's true i mean he did collect names i believe scrooge's name came off a gravestone as a matter of fact Mm. that he saw um and so he did collect names and he did, he did draw on real life characters. Um, but yeah, so, sometimes just having like everything come from like people he's talking to, it's like saying, okay, let's not go overboard with this. Yeah. And we see the beginning here of like, you know, his father being taken off to debtor's prison. And so now mm-hmm. he had, you know, Charles as a child has to, work in a factory and it's really really hard to to watch it's Mm -hmm. really sad yeah that that was that was um maybe the formative episode of his life and the strange thing is he never told anybody while he was alive he told maybe a handful of people his own children didn't know um he told his wife he told forrester maybe a few others Mm. um excuse me and um and it seems so strange to us now because if you study Dickens at all, if you read Dickens, if you read anything at all about Dickens, that pops up. That he, when he was a child, he, he was sent to work in a blacking factory mm. and that it was very hard and, you know, almost broke his spirit. But people in his own time had no idea. So it, it, there was this huge discrepancy between how deeply it affected him the influence it had over his life and his work and how much people knew about it at the time. It, was it that he was ashamed of it? I think maybe that was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it was such a depressing time in his life that he just didn't want to think about it, even though it, it he couldn't help it. He put it into David Copperfield. Um, I mean, he has that same thing happen to the character um, and it was a, that's a pretty autograph, autobiographical novel. So basically he wrote, he talked about it without talking about it. He, he was yeah. like, here it is, here's this awful thing that happened to me, but he didn't actually say it happened to him. So people didn't actually quite realize it. He did, he did write a little bit of a memoir that he never published during his lifetime and he gave it to Forster hmm. and he wrote that. He wrote down that episode in that fragment. But again, it wasn't published at the time. And so, again, Forster knew, but hardly anybody else did. So it it was like it was always with him. It always haunted him. He couldn't get rid of it, but he couldn't actually quite bring himself to say the words. So it it just sort of. uh, I think the 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 thing about it was. He, he was afraid during that time that this was going to be his life and he was never going to get an education. And he longed for education. He loved school. He loved books. 
Sure. And he thought he was never going to get a chance for an education again. And it depressed him. It terrified him. And I think those feelings were so strong that um, it made this that time in his life really painful to revisit. Mm. And uh, yeah, and, like it, this idea must be so terrifying because he's almost buying things <laughs> to to make himself or to make other people think that he, he's not broke. And so it right. becomes this cycle right. where he's spending money that he doesn't have or he's wasting the money that he does have and, and hoping that he can get a, a, you know, a, a hit in his next work because mm-hmm. he, his three last books failed. And, you know, and, you know, like they showed in the beginning of the movie, he's kind of, he's signing these little pieces of paper to kind of try to make more money, you know, mm-hmm. by, by selling his signature. And I forget how they were, like, I think they're supposed to go inside his books. Well, it, it was his father, actually, that was, yeah. His, oh, his father that's was, right. Was doing that. Yeah, his father was selling uh, Charles's signature. And, and um, I, I think Charles finds this deeply humiliating. It's also almost like his father is selling little pieces of himself. And that's just one more reason for the tension. This thing that he's doing here, um, acting out characters in the mirror is a thing that, that um, he used to do for real. His, his children would see him and hear him acting out in front of the mirror, like sometimes for hours, mm. <laughs> acting out all these stories with these characters. It was like he needed to be able to see it and hear it in order to make it real on the page. Right. And I kind of missed it there. The, the, gen- the, the, the woman and the gentleman dancing in his mind, the characters, uh, was that Fizzywig? Yes, yes. Oh, is that? Yeah, and and again, we we sort of trace the whole process be, because, um, like, people he he picks up these ideas from people on the street. He 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 sort of comes home. He thinks about it. He acts things out in the mirror, and then he starts to see people like appearing and so forth. Um. And um, here's just a quick shot of uh, Catherine again. And and that reminds me, I wanted to bring up that another good thing this movie does is show you what it's like to be married to a, to a creative (laughs) and how it's not a bed of roses. (laughs) Um, We're seeing her be very uh, patient with it all. Um, Mm. But it's not easy. (laughs) And, And his spending habits, you know, both his spending habits and then his, his, your impulses you know it, it all affects her yeah. and um his you know shutting himself up alone in his office and shouting and screaming it all affects her she has to deal with all of this and running the household and so forth and it, it's not easy we we don't know a ton about Catherine. we know some things about her but but um i mean whatever she was like she she would have had to put up with all this Right. <laughs> and, and and they do ask you to to sympathize with her in that, and um, here we get the the ghost of uh, Christmas present mm-hmm. and the Cratchit, and things are just really cooking now. Yeah. <laughs> the, the story is just really humming along, and um, and um, Scrooge just sort of giving his commentary on all of it mm-hmm. and, and Scrooge is really taking on such a life of his own now yeah. um and just you he doesn't 
Scrooge at this point really doesn't want to change. He's sort of enjoying his tormenting his creator a little bit. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's sort of enjoying being a stubborn stick in the mud. Right. Um, and he's not he's not really interested in the idea of change at all. He he's having more fun sort of being being uh, the thorn in the side. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, and you were mentioning uh, there's a movie that I want to do called Mother. And it's really dark. It's really, and it's supposed to be about Mother Nature. You know, I, I, I remember you know, here. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be about like nature and how it's basically uh, Javier Bardem plays God, and uh, the the female character I forget the uh, who played her, but plays Mother Earth, and God, God creates, you know, invites people into his home. She's kind of building this home, and uh, he and you know the. You know, Javier Bardem invites people into the home, and they they start destroying the house as you know Mother Nature tries to build it. And uh, but it's also about the creative process. I think that uh, you know he because the, the the Javier Bardem character is a poet, and he writes poetry, and he wants he wants people to love him, and she loves him, loves his poetry also. But and there's a moment where she says, "But I like I like your poetry too." And he says, "Oh, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know you do." But it doesn't matter as much from coming from her as it does coming from other people, people that don't know mm-hmm. him. And so, yeah, I mean, just I'm sure she loves and appreciates all his stories, and probably why she fell in love with him, how creative he was, and you know. But uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't change the fact that he has, you know, she has to also put up with the process of trying to, you know, create these stories and then having to deal with the fact that he might, you know, how depressed he was when he failed, how, you know, it's 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 got to be, like you mentioned, it's got to be, it had to have been very difficult. Yes. Yeah. And, and, um, and just his, his, um, for for all the discipline he has in his in his uh writing and and pushing through with it um he doesn't have a lot of restraint <laughs> in his his manner the way he acts and and so oh uh, and here we see the creative process working backwards a little bit because first remember he envisioned uh the ghost of christmas present as looking something like forster and now we see forster posing for the character <laughs> for the artist and being a very obliging friend which is sweet yeah. and um so, but that's an interesting variation there on on the process we've been talking about. We've we've seen it working one way, and then we see it going in the other direction, where with sort of life imitating art. And so, there's just like all kinds of um, interesting insights here on how it all works. And here comes Scrooge again to tease him <laughs> and be <Yeah>. mean. <laughs> It'd be Scrooge like. There's a yeah. There's an ad in the window of a bookstore saying that uh, a Christmas story by Charles Dickens. Order now, like pre-order now, and he's having trouble finishing it. <laughs> so, and here comes the panic, yeah. <laughs> and even his own characters are are pressuring him in his mind, and and this is getting really, really um, scary yeah. <laughs> for him, and real, really, really um, intense. Yeah, and you see this in, in. I mean, I'm sure it happens with you. I'm sure you can turn out a book in no time. I'm sure. That you can just put words to paper and just finish it, but it you want it to be good, you want it to mm-hmm. be as good as possible, and so, and I've seen it like uh, you know in the sh- you know in cooking shows, for example, when a great chef, you know, 
when something they do doesn't come out well, he's like, I'm not going to give it, give it to, to a customer because that's mm-hmm. my name. That's good. That's going mm-hmm. out, out there. That's, I want to give them as good as I can, you know, yeah, so- it, they might enjoy it, but it's not, it's not as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, I'm sure Dickens, he's not, he's not struggling to find, you know, the words to put on the page. He's, struggling to do a good job yeah yeah and and, um and he knows that he can he knows he has it in him he's done it before but i think it the issue is can i do it again (laughs) can i live up to what i've done before can i do even better than i've done before yeah that that ego that i brought up before mm -hmm. yeah and, and the constant need to sort of like test your current self against your past self right. <laughs> to, to, and to, and to say like, have I still got it? Um, or is, is this particular episode of writer's block going to be the last? Is this going to be it for me? So, oh yeah. That's so, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is even if he had never written anything, but Oliver twist, I think he would be remembered as a great novelist. Mm-hmm. But he had so many more great books in him. And and, and um, I, I guess all, all writers are different. Like you get somebody like Emily Bronte who produces um, like a little poetry and one great novel. And um, she's made, it makes her immortal. But then you get people who turn out like so many great novels. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's fascinating how every writer is different. And some people, some want to keep pushing themselves and some don't and some can't. It, it's, right. There's so many varieties of experience. Um, here he is arguing with Tara over the fate of Tiny Tim. And I often find myself taking Tara's role in conversations like these <laughs> where um, I'm like, no, this character can change. There is hope. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it, you, you there there's goodness in this person and um uh, i often find myself arguing you know yeah. on social media or elsewhere <laughs> with people who take the the gloomier view and um but i tend to i don't know if it's the christian in me or the sentimentalist in me <laughs> or the just the stubborn person in me or maybe a little bit of all three right. but but i i'm usually the one who's who's arguing for that unless the person has been like completely, completely horrendous. Um, And then I'm like, okay, I don't want a redemption story for this person. I want this person (laughs) to to pay the piper. Um, But a lot of times I I really do want to, to, um, to see that redemption, that change happen. Well, yeah, you've, you've watched maybe too many Frank Capra movies. (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's it maybe it's the capraite in me (laughs) but 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 that was a wonderful scene where yeah tara was like no like because in the movie he the the, originally tiny tim dies and tara is really upset by this she's like no he can't die he's like oh yeah well that that happens though he's like but you know scrooge has to save him and even Scrooge, who is like, you know, the manifestation of Scrooge in the background says, wait, me? Why do I have to say yeah. t- Tiny Tim? And <laughs> As mentioned, our Scrooge is being especially evil right now and doesn't is not interested in hope and change and redemption for himself. But Tara is for him. Right. And, uh, and she's going to have some influence. And 
here, here we see the parents again and Dickens being very upset with them. And um, an interesting little departure from reality here mm-hmm. that, that is that Dickens was actually more resentful toward his mother than his father. Wow. I mean, he, he did have all these issues with his father that we're seeing, but his mother, um, after he was, the, the, the family got an inheritance after some time and they, his father was able to leave debtor's prison and his, he, he was finally able to leave the blacking warehouse and go back to school, which he had longed for. Mm. And at that point, his mother said, well, why don't we just send him back to work and he can earn some more money. And Dickens never forgot that. And he never forgave her for it. Mm. I mean, he, he went on like being, trying to be the dutiful son and taking care of them as we see, but he never forgave her for that. He, he, in that autobiographical fragment that I mentioned, he he wrote, I can never forget that because he had finally come back into the daylight as it seemed to him. He had finally gotten out of that horrible place. All his, his wildest hopes had come true. And then his mother wanted to send him back to the blacking warehouse. And so just never got over it. (laughs) So I I don't know that they're already dealing with like a lot of stuff here. And I guess they probably, have room to deal with any more and the father issues alone <laughs> are enough for one movie but um, but it would be I mean it would be interesting to see them deal with with his relationship with his mother because that was that was pretty fraught as well yeah um, you, you don't see that play out so much in his books I don't know if it was too painful or what but um, you you don't see him. You you see sometimes depictions of like frivolous mothers, silly mothers, or uh, stuff like that. But but he never really you never really see him try to um, work out that particular relationship, as, as I recall. Yeah, and it may have just been too much, <laughs> too much for even a genius to deal with. Um, to to d- go diving into that. Yeah, but yeah, and I I I can't get over that like that scene. It's just such a great scene with Tara. Where he says he doesn't change, you know, people don't people don't change, and that's kind of, you know, starting that inspiration of like, well, he has to though. Yeah, and like his friend is telling them, if Tiny Tim dies, then what's the point? What do you? What's yeah. this book about then? Just horrible things happen, and that's it. For like, what a great Christmas story, and I know. Yeah, and I think that Charles Dickens really wants, but this is real life. This is what really happens mm-hmm. in real life, and so yeah, it's really, really hard for him to get over that fact. That yeah, I've experienced this. I've seen it happen. People don't change. People are horrible, and it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's <laughs> really hard for him to to you know to to admit that a horrible person like Scrooge could change, and he's creating the character. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, and putting aspects of his own self into it, which which um, makes it even more meaningful. <laughs> that he's like, it, it, sort of subconsciously, maybe he's like, I have this in me, and it's going to stay in me, and it's not going anywhere. Right. Um, and I love how the characters are all just hanging around his office now, waiting to be put to work, and and Scrooge is like, Nah, you're never gonna do anything with us he can't make it work and and <laughs> and he finally has to go out to to uh get away from them <laughs> uh, 
And, and uh, here he is right back again with Forrester after he, he tried to fire Forrester. And Forrester's like, you can't attack me. I'm just your friend. I'm not your employee. <laughs> so, again, Forrester is, is being, you know, really kind and understanding. And, I mean, you know, God send us all friendships like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, in my own friendships, I often find myself, you know, sometimes afraid to be honest, afraid to speak up. Um, and afraid of what might happen to the friendship. And, um, and I admire those friendships that are so durable and so strong that you can, you can like get things out. (laughs) You can get things off your chest and maybe you're not always being wonderful, but, but, um, you can find understanding. And, and here, um, Forrester is basically like being a great psychiatrist because he's probing and probing and, trying to get to the bottom of Scrooge and maybe a little bit trying to get to the bottom of Scrooge's creator too, Mm. because like, why is Scrooge greedy? What is he afraid of? And, and, um, trying to help him with the writing uh, and the creation of this character and the forward movement of this character. Yeah. And yeah, it it is kind of a sad thing. Uh, There's a, a documentary that I really like, uh, because it's, a called Lemmy, about uh, the lead singer of the band Motorhead, uh, Lemmy Von Kilmeister. And uh, there's this really, really, there's this part that really breaks my heart is uh, like a professional wrestler. uh, Lemmy got uh, diabetes because he drank so much. Mm. And uh, a wrestler got diabetes also, and they they spoke. And he's like, how do you handle it? And Lemmy says, uh, you know, I mean, you just live with it because it's you're too old to find God now. So, mm. you know, it's this idea that, yeah, I'm too old now, so there's no point in changing. And it's no, just such true. a, yeah, such a heartbreaking kind of way of thinking that mm-hmm. you can't change now. It's You've lived this life your whole life, so now there's no point in even trying. And, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I- yeah, I, I find it kind of interesting and funny that uh, Forrester and Dickens have now gone out and gotten drunk. <laughs> because <laughs> we saw, we saw uh, just a few scenes ago, we saw his father come home drunk and Dickens be a little disgusted with him. And and so, again, I, I don't think they're like sledgehammering it, but, but they, they just sort of subtly keep bringing out these similarities. Right. Like, I mean... Your, fa- your father may be driving you crazy. You may resent him, but you're sort of him all over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, he that that's where he got his imagination and his dramatic side and all these things came from this man that he resents. And and uh, so it's no wonder he's kind of all gnarled yeah. up inside. Oh, now my dog's acting and, up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and, and go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, uh, you know, he's now he's talking about like his fears. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's got this writer's block. He doesn't know what to do with the characters, and he's terrified of what might happen if he doesn't get it done on time. Get this book done on time, in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, it's interesting that getting to talking through Scrooge's fears has sort of helped him like confront some of his own, but, um, he was, he, he was a man who, 
he, he, he did end up supporting a lot of people. I mean, as I said, he would eventually have 10 children. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was supporting his parents. As we saw, he was trying to help his sister out a little bit financially where he could. Um, he was a big philanthropist, always raising money for, for people, donating money to people. Um, so he felt like he was this one man industry. Like he, he had this great talent. He had this ability to write books that were very popular and beloved. And at the same time, he felt like, um, I've got to keep it going. If I don't keep it going, everything will fall apart. All these people depend on me. Mm. I, and um, it, it was it was a ton of pressure. Jeez, yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know, that when uh, athletes get signed to giant contracts, they say people come mm-hmm. out of the woodwork to, you know, to ask for money because we were there. We helped you get to this point, so now you owe us, and it's kind of a sad state mm-hmm. of affairs, but the, and it's not just that people ask them; it's like they feel the obligation to do something, mm-hmm. you know, to help out their friends. And it's yeah, you know, it's understandable, but uh, it's also like a, can be a big problem because, you know, that's your you know, you're kind of wasting your money. You're, you're not throwing your money away or anything like that, but you can't help everyone, you know, and yeah. it's yeah, it, be, it can get you into trouble if you. Yeah, yeah. A, a sense of duty, um, yeah, can really put you under pressure. And and here we see where his father is going through his his trash, um, looking for samples of his signature to sell. Yeah. And this, this is where he really fully cottons onto what's been going on there, and um, is outraged and humiliated and all that, and and um, feels like he, he says like little pieces of himself are being sold off. And so, uh, yeah, that this is, this is a tough thing to watch. And it's like his, his inner Scrooge is really fully coming out. I mean, obviously he has reason to be upset. We've just been talking about how hard it is to support parents and all these other people. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's without, it's not like it's without cause, but his anger is just like really boiling over here. And he's sort of letting that side of himself loose. And we, um, with the, the Scrooge inside him sort of egging him on and telling him like, you know, give way to your, <laughs> give way to your bad impulses, give way to your resentment, right. uh, let your anger out. And, um, yeah, and, and it's not pretty. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, I like that this movie just goes for it, goes there, shows his dark side. Yeah. Um, uh, the the best a lot of the best movies uh, even the best christmas movies do like it's a wonderful life i mean people forget they're like oh it's a wonderful life you know uh, christmas bells and angels wings and all these you know cute things and then they go back and like wait george bailey is like screaming at his children and throwing things around what I what know. is this <laughs> like oh that that scene with uh with uncle with his uncle he's just like oh, oh. Scene, my that, that's the that's the roughest. I almost watched that scene through my fingers because it affects me so much. I um, know. Oh, it's so, because it's really, really, and he's like grabbing him and he's shaking him. He's like, I'm not going to jail. Do you hear me? I'm not the one going to, oh, it's so like, again, like you said, it's really dark and yeah. we, we forget. We totally forget because of all the fun, funny scenes and, but yeah, it's, and it's great for that reason. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, talking Christmas movies, I think maybe, I, I think most of us would admit that Christmas sometimes for all the joy and all the traditions, sometimes it brings out the really bad side of us. I, I mean, dealing with like family relationships that maybe we don't have to deal with for the rest of the year. <laughs> We're dealing with like a lot of stress. We're dealing with a lot of really hard things and um, our bad side comes out. And, and so it's kind of this weird paradox. And I think a lot of the best Christmas movies um, deal with darkness mm-hmm. <laughs> because Nate, Nate, there's, there's this underlying thing where um, if, if it, it's a celebration of goodness and hope and light that's so powerful, but you don't get the full strength of it unless you're willing to show the darkness that it's sort of right. delivers us um, the darkness that that light comes into. And um, yeah, so, so maybe, maybe like underneath where we're not always conscious of it, there's that sort of um, theme going on and those sorts of tensions going back and forth. And that's why, that's why we need darkness in our Christmas movies. <laughs> So and and we've just see have seen him uh, get mad at Tara, who he never gets mad at, and and uh, throw her out of the room, and and um, perhaps unwittingly all the way out of the house. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean we're talking dark here, really dark. And yeah, he was angry. He didn't he didn't mean to. He essentially said you know to said to the other maids to get rid of her, not knowing that it sounds like he said fire her. Right, and yeah. that's exactly what they did, and he's you know just unintentionally did so and regrets it, but you know it's not like yeah it's yeah, and he's not always um and we're gonna see some of this coming up when he talks with Catherine again um he's not always conscious that someone in his in his position with authority over other people has to sometimes watch what he says right. <laughs> and and um and be more careful about what he says and not just like um, throw that power around. And so now, now he realizes she's out of the house and he's like, well, bring her back. And they're like, it doesn't just work like that. London is big and teeming with people. And uh, this is going to take some doing. And so um, again, here is, here is where, uh, Kate sort of like tells him a few truths about himself that he needs to hear and um, and tells him, you know, and, and, and talks about how there's two of him, which again, sort of, it, it sort of reflects the bipolar thing I was talking about earlier, but also just maybe could be said of any one of us that we have, we have uh, goodness in us and we have a lot of sin in us too. Mm-hmm. And, um, sometimes let the the wrong part of ourselves take over and and he's done this and she's telling him this yeah and again like um i we jokingly when we were messaging back and forth about doing this movie i joked that it's going to be really hard not to make you know not to make this a anti-capitalist podcast because of you know it's about poor people and how they struggle and how they suffer at the hands of people who you know at the hands of debt you know and mm-hmm. you know it, he, i was joking but there is that kind of notion that uh you know 
well, I, I kind of offend people when I say this, but I mean it in a, in a good way in that Christianity is ridiculous. It's dumb. It's, it's really stupid <laughs> because our human instinct is to it's survival of the fittest. It is mm-hmm. me over you. What about me? That's, that's instinctual in us. That's what drives mm-hmm. us because we're basically animals and it's about me and it's not about you. It's, you know, what about me kind of an attitude and Christianity is the opposite. It's about mm-hmm. others. Yeah. It's about <laughs> loving others and give, I mean, pray for your enemies and, or, you know, love your enemies and pray for those. That's ridiculous. It's the dumbest thing I've <laughs> yeah. ever heard, but that's because that's what we are as human beings, you know, right. is it drives right. us to hate and to be angry. And of course, that's why like, you know, hate and anger and all these things are so, you know, prevalent right now in the news and in all sorts of things, because hate and bitterness and fear is a lot more attractive. It's a lot more, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, 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 it's what drives people a lot more than love and compassion and forgiveness, mm-hmm. you know, but that's how you make the world a better place. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we've seen here how in a moment of stress, yet you mentioned Dickens earlier as somebody who was always trying to be better and do better, but we've seen how in a moment of stress, even a person with that desire can revert to his, uh, what what you might call animal self to his to his um, his worst self to mm-hmm. to his sin nature as, as we would put it um, and and just let anger and selfishness have its way with him and and direct him and and that's what he's done and and now he's he's going he's going back to the the blacking warehouse. Um, back to to all those issues he's been dealing with and 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 just that feeling that underneath it all he's really nothing he hasn't changed he's still that that boy who was who was looked down on and and who had to go to work too early and was just was nobody as as um as Scrooge is telling him here who nobody and nothing. Yeah. And, um, you know, all, all, all the insecurities from that experience are coming out. Yeah. And again, like, you know, I, I joke around like, you know, again about, you know, we mentioned capitalism and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad, but and I'm bringing it up because of this, because this is a father went to debtor's prison. His son had to work at 11 years old at a blackening factory, you know, gluing labels to bottles. It's, it's for 12 hours a day. It's terrifying, but it's, you know, that's, it's, it's the notion that if we're, if we have the sin nature in us and we're driven by greed and, and, you know, evil and, you know, selfishness, then obviously people can treat other people really badly under this system. The point is to live within the system and be as good as possible, to treat other people as good as possible. Like it can work and it does work if we try our best to care about other people as much as possible. And, 
you know, and yeah. it, it can go really, really badly if it's just unrestricted and, you know, and people are left to their own devices. Mm -hmm. I think um, that that line he just said, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of it for another. I think that's the third time now that, that uh, he said that, and I want to touch on it. Oh, it's yeah. actually a line from Our Mutual Friend, which is one of his last books. And I, I think it's interesting that it keeps coming up here. They sort of seize on it as the key. And it sort of goes with what you've been saying, um, that when he has this huge identity crisis, when he has this insecurity, when he's feeling like he's nobody and nothing, he seizes on this, this um, thought that you're not useless if you help someone else. Mm. And that really drives him a lot. And I, I think it's something for him to hold on to. And, and it's interesting that they're saying his father used to say that. I don't know if his father really used to say that. I don't think so. I think it's just a line that he wrote uh, himself. <laughs> but, but it's interesting that they took that and they, they sort of made it the cornerstone of the whole thing. And they said his father taught it to him mm. because they're, they're sort of insisting now, okay, his father taught him some good things too. And he can't, he can't let go of the good part of his father and he can't he can't let go of that legacy he has to hold on to it and so with that he has to admit that um there was good in his father and that he is not nobody himself so 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 it's sort of they they've sort of made that the the point on which the whole thing turns that this notion that you're not just out for yourself, um, that it's worth it to help other people. It's even worth it for, for him to help his father because his father taught him that in the first place. And so now he's he's having his moment with Scrooge here, deciding what Scrooge's fate is going to be. And Scrooge says, let me do some good before I die. And so it's like, okay, Scrooge finally wants to change, so yeah. we can let Scrooge change since, since the desire has finally come out of him himself. Yeah, he's he's essentially taken control of this character that's been mocking him this whole time. And now uh, he's in a grave. Like, Scrooge is now in, in a grave begging Charles Dickens to get him out, to help him. And he can change. He can do better. And, you know, and, like, and it's different than before, like, you know, this fiery grave as in it's been depicted out of the places. The grave is actually closing in on Scrooge. And Scrooge is yeah. saying, I'll try to do better. I'll live a better life. And he's, it's, it's really, really great that he's begging Charles Dickens to write a good ending for him. Yeah, it's like he had, again, going back to that creative process and the way that characters sort of take over, it's like he had to hear Scrooge say that before he could put it into the book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Scrooge had to stop... Uh, Resisting the idea. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the point of, of a Christmas carol is helping other people. And we mm -hmm. can do so much for others if we just help a little. And this miserly character, this evil, you know, bitter person who we see why he becomes bitter. We see why, how this happened. And so we grow empathy for them. And then, you know, he changes and he becomes a better person when he realizes his decisions affect other people. 
and that life is right. more than just the money that you collect. It's, it's how much you love other people. It's how much they love you. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's all those things. Oh boy. My dog's just <laughs> knocking things over with his tail. Oh yeah. Um, we don't know for a fact what exactly was going through Dickens' head when he wrote the last part of the book, when he wrote the part about Tiny Tim did not die. But if you look at the original manuscript or uh, a facsimile of it, which is very interesting to do, you mm. notice that the words who did not die were written in after. So, <laughs> so it looks like, if you read that part, what it looks like is that he originally wrote to Tiny Tim, he became a second father. So he sort of has the implication there, okay, Tiny Tim is around for Scrooge to be a father too. But at some point he decided, or somebody told him, I don't know, that you got to spell it out. Yeah. <laughs> so he specifically said, Tim did not die. <laughs> so, and, and I think we kind of need that at the end of the book. We just need to be absolutely sure. Right. So he made sure that we knew. <laughs> And so, uh, um, yeah, Tara comes back uh, to return. And funny enough, because she's an uh, she's an Irish orphan, as they call her before. That's why you know when he sent her away, now she has to go find another job amongst all the other you know Irish orphans that uh, that are running around the streets of London trying to find jobs. And so it's going to be really hard to find her. And yeah, she comes back luckily because she still had the book that Charles Dickens. Uh, you know, let her borrow. And, uh -huh. and now he gives her her job back and tells her, you know, Tiny Tim lives. He's going to survive. And, uh, you know, to her, you know, you know, to her joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and we saw that, that brief little scene where he sort of, um, tries to set things right with Catherine and she's like, I know, I know you don't deserve me and so forth. And, and, and it's cute. And um, in actual fact, the marriage did not end well, sadly. And oh. um, that was, the fault. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know a lot about Catherine, but it, from what we do know, it seems pretty clear that it was all his fault. Right. And, um, and yeah, so I, I like the way, knowing that, I, I like the way the movie treats this marriage. I mean, we, we see that while he is the hero and, and uh, there's good reason for him to be the hero because he was a, a, a great genius and a great philanthropist and, and uh, a sympathetic man and all the rest of it, uh, he was also very, very flawed and did mm -hmm. bad things sometimes. And um and and so the movie also sympathizes with Catherine too, and, and with, with quite a lot with her, and I like that. <laughs> I like that that we can have we, we can both have him as the hero and her as a sort of quiet heroine, even if she's in the background a lot. We we still are getting very much the experience of what she goes through, how much she puts up with, how much she must love him to put up with it, and um, yeah, so. It was, let me see, this is what, I, I forget what year this was. I should know that. <laughs> this is like the 1840s and the marriage was, was and not, not with divorce, but with separation. Yeah. Like maybe, I, maybe it was 10 years after that. I'm not sure exactly 
Uh, I, I should have written these dates down. My thinking is all fuzzy. But maybe the 10, 12, something like that years after that. But the place they're in now, I think, is depicted well. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think... You know, there you see the tensions, the strains, but also the moments of harmony that are very sweet. And, you know, I, I think they did a good job with that. Um, and I don't know. We, we also saw a nice reconciliation scene with his parents. I don't know that that really ever happened, <laughs> but it, it fits well into the story. Um, it sort of it, it um, goes well with all the themes in the story. It shows him at least, you know, trying to make an effort, <laughs> and yeah. I I do like that. So yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of good things that the movie does here. Mm. And this is a you know a similar scene as like when we saw Little Women, is uh, seeing his yeah. book printed out, like his finished book after he wrote it, sent it to the printers, they printed it, and now he's holding it, and what a feeling that must be to to have the book yeah. that you've been working on so so hard you've been working so hard on yes yes and and um when we've seen him go through so much not just fighting writer's block but also dealing with so many so many issues and problems to mm -hmm. make it happen and it just um it's it's you just know it's the most incredible feeling and um and now, and it's here. Here comes Thackeray trotting up with his. <laughs> <Yeah>. own. <laughs> it's like it's like one of those realistic moments when, like, you're you're just having a moment of ecstasy, and here comes like somebody to to rain on your parade a little bit. But but I think he's so excited and so happy that even Thackeray can't really bug him that much right now. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, <laughs> but. Um, so everybody's getting together now for the Christmas party at the end. Mm -hmm. And um, again, again, you see just how much, how much he got from his father, how his father's like naturally being the entertainer, you know, entertaining the children, putting on a, what, what was it? A puppet show or yeah. whatever it was uh, like a diorama or, or a cardboard stage or something. I don't know. But, but um Again, <laughs> again, the, there are the similarities. Yeah, and, uh, I, I find this amusing. She's like, "Oh, what is this?" And I'm like, "Did he just like smuggle a whole Christmas tree into the yeah, house?" Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, that was cute. Yeah, when did uh, Christmas trees? I, not that you know this, but when did Christmas trees become popular? Because he puts up a Christmas tree and he said, "Oh, it's German. It's uh, I think they call it a Tannenbaum," and yeah, because apparently think... they don't know what Christmas trees are yet, so. <laughs> He mentioned that Queen Victoria has one, so maybe it really was right about this time. And I love this part where um, Forster's going to read Thackeray's review, and Dickens can't look. <laughs> he just can't look. He's looking sideways because he can't stand it. And then all of a sudden, it's about to be a good review, and um, and he's just so excited. <laughs> um, it, it's funny um, that I, I find... You know, Thackeray, I, I've read Vanity Fair, and it's good. It's very good. Um, but I find it hard sometimes to read other Victorian writers who aren't Dickens, like <laughs> Thackeray. Like, um, I, I, do like, I, I do like some of, a, a couple of the writers, but um, I, I like the Brontes very much. Mm. But um, 
in a lot of cases, um, I just, when I read other Victorian writers, uh, I just feel like there's something missing here because, because Dickens is just so, um, he, he does something that he, he has stuff in him that no other writer has. And it's just like, you're, you're sort of, um, missing something <laughs> and, and, and it's, not, it's not Trollope's fault it's not that Grace's fault they can't help it they're just not a ticket uh, it, it reminds me of um when I took a Victorian uh literature class in grad school and we all had to read um Gaskell Trollope Thackeray Hardy Dickens mm. and, and and like the standard people and uh, our professor took a vote at the end of class, and we unanimously voted Dickens the best. <laughs> so yeah. it's not just <laughs> it's other people too. There's a reason uh, why why even even though um, they're sort of much contested these days, there, there's a reason that his works survive. Yeah, and I, I think that was the like your problem is that you started out with the best, so now you <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you can't go backwards. Right. <laughs> and, and then it's like no substitute. And yeah. I'm always wanting to get back to Trollope again, for instance, and say, okay, people say really good things about Trollope. I'm going to try him again, and you know, maybe one day I will. But but um, it's just not quite the same. Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't have <laughs> doesn't have the energy, doesn't have the humor, doesn't have like the the same level of social commentary and compassion. And so it's just like it's like. Nobody else is going to do it for me in the, quite the same way. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we're coming to the end, and it says Charles Dickens published uh, Christmas Carol December nineteenth in eighteen forty three, and it's and it's sold out. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. I think he broke even with that first edition. Huh. He probably, I'm guessing, he probably made money on it after. But but we know he saw he got into this because of his shaky finances. He ended up only breaking even because he spent so much money um, getting the thing published. And then so so it's like the idea took over from the original purpose. You know, I got to make some money. The idea took over, transcended everything Mm -hmm. and um, took on a purpose and a life of its own. Yeah, and it said that uh, um, that charitable givings like went up really high mm-hmm. after the publishing yeah. of the book. It sold out, and just charitable giving just became and and they uh, kind of a nod to the uh, you know an explanation of why it's called the man who invented Christmas. Is they're saying that the book uh, changed how we celebrate Christmas every year, which uh, right true or false? What do you what do you think? I think it absolutely did. It popularized Christmas, which, um, I mean, it was recognized as a holiday, but people didn't really do a lot with it by the time he wrote this book. I I think he drew on a lot of like traditional celebrations and ideas and so forth, but, but they, those things weren't quite as popular anymore by the time he wrote. And then a lot of it came back and, and, um, people just really um, seized on some of these ideas and not, not just the traditions, but also uh, the idea of, of being more generous at Christmas. Mm. And um, yeah, he really did help to revive a lot of things. Well, that's great. I mean, cause I, I got us, it's, it, it has to be one of the best, 
you know, I, I mean, it, well, I haven't really read a lot of Christmas <laughs> books, so you know, but uh, I do think it, it's such a wonderful read, and th- I'll probably watch every adaptation that comes out of a Christmas Carol, <laughs> just because it, yeah. I, I have to, and. You know, the Disney one is probably one of my favorites, if not my very favorite, <laughs> because it's just so good. And yeah, it's it's yeah. just a timeless story. It's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and honestly, I mean, you know, I love the 1951 version, and I also love the Muppet version. Oh, <laughs> great! Yeah, it's so good. It's so good, and it uses a lot of the dialogue from the book, which is impressive, and it. There's such a sense of joy and hope in it, mm-hmm. and you know they they um they show the dark parts um they 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 sort of like joke about the dark parts a little bit like when Gonzo and Rizzo are like yeah we're ducking out now see you later because it's gonna get dark <laughs> but, but they do show it yeah and and they just do they just do I mean beyond having all that fun Muppet stuff in it that we all love they just do a good job telling the story yeah. and that at bottom is the thing that really matters. So there you go, uh, The Man Who Invented Christmas. Uh, wonderful movie. If you guys uh, haven't seen it, like I said, it's on Hulu. Totally recommend it. It's such a delight. And again, it has darkness in it too, just like uh, The Christmas Carol has. It's just, it's such a, I, I don't know. I don't know. Did I mention at the beginning, I saw it the first time and I was just thought it was okay because I kind of wasn't paying too much attention to it. I just had kind of had it on, and but this time I realized this is a great movie. So thank you so much for recommending it and for doing the podcast to talk about it. I'm so glad you liked it. Um, I I uh, saw it when it first came out in theaters in oh I'm forgetting the year. It's been a few years ago now. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's recent. It's like 2017 or something. Something like that. And like I said, it wasn't. It it didn't get a lot of attention, but. Um, it, it just, I, I, I loved it so much and, um, I, I'm hoping that, you know, more, more and more people will, will watch it and appreciate it because there's just so much there to appreciate. Yeah. And uh, that's good to hear coming from a Dickens fan, especially because they could have really <laughs> messed this one up and just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Then... And, and like, like I said, I like that they show him warts and all because, um, I think it's so valuable a depiction like that. Um, when, when we wrestle so much these days with what do we do with authors and, and composers and, and singers and actors and so forth who like have parts of themselves that really aren't good and that offend us. And like, do we cancel them? Do we embrace them? What, what does it say about us if we embrace them? But if we know, if we know like they were like, they had dark sides or whatever. And, um, you know, there's so much of a conversation to have there. Like, obviously you don't want to like cel- end up celebrating rapists and, and that sort of thing. So it, it's, it's not a black and white issue. It's very nuanced, but I do like the way this movie handles it. And yeah. I think, um, there's, there's something to be learned there that, that, that they weren't afraid to show dark parts of him. And, but they're still arguing that, he was a genius who created an immortal work for good reasons, mm-hmm. <laughs> for for passionate reasons. And um, so, you know, let's just try and, and take it all together and, you know, see what we can make of it. Right. Okay. So there you go. Uh, anything coming up? Are you working on anything right now? 
that we can go and uh, visit uh, or check out? Just this and that. Um, I like I mentioned before. I um, I have a blog about Dickens. It it is. Let's see. I think it's. 12 years old now or thereabouts mm-hmm. uh it's, it's dickensblog.typepad.com and um i invite anyone who's interested in in um reading or learning more about dickens and his works to come check it out it, it's um i started it not because i thought i was an expert but because for the opposite reason actually i'm not an expert i, no. <laughs> I don't like I, I ever have been an expert i started it more to learn than to teach i started it to to sort of like get into conversation with other fans and to learn from them and so forth and so it, it's been that it's done that for me and i think it's done that for other people and and you know we've had some fun there, so so I hope people will come and check it out. Every, every year, I publish a schedule of like when a, when the various adaptations of A Christmas Carol are going to be airing. And of course, now with streaming services, that's changed a little bit. Oh, yeah. People don't people don't necessarily watch for it on TV now anymore. <laughs> but for those who look for it on cable channels or whatnot, uh, we still put that out there, so that's available for anyone who, who wants it. Yeah, sure. And you wrote a review of this movie also. I remember reading mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So that's great. And yeah. yeah. So there you go. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. Thanks, thanks Gina, for uh, doing the episode. This was great. This was really fun. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so uh, everyone, thank you guys for being here. And Merry Christmas. I forgot to say that at the beginning. But uh, yes, we are in the Christmas, Christmas season. <laughs> so. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Commentarians Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to support our show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thecommentarians. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.